This episode of The Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. I'm Jeff Combs. I'm everywhere on Star Trek, and you keep tuning in to Trek FM. Welcome to The Ready Room, show number 157, Removable Sideburns. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Matthew Rushing. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including the conclusion to the TNG Remastered project, the All Good Things Blu-ray, Gates McFadden's unique fundraiser for her next theatrical production, and we welcome Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast to the network. Then in the feature, we're joined by Daniel Prue and Eric Brazier to discuss the DS9 episode, Defiant. So let's step into the ready room. Well, hello, Matthew. What are you doing here on the Ready Room? I usually see you on the Orb and Literary Treks every week. Did you just accidentally wander in here today? Uh, Chris, I, I feel like I might be in the wrong chair today or something. I don't know what's going on, but it's so good to be back here on the crown jewel of the, the Trek FM network, uh, the Ready Room. I, I love being here. Uh, I've missed being here, actually, and so it, it's good to be back. Ah, smells good. Oh, wait, that that's just that the window's open and I live in Washington now. So yeah. the air is fresher and cleaner. So, yeah, I also sprayed a little lilac around. Oh, oh, with that. Oh, well, Worf's not quite here on the Deep Space Nine episode. We're talking I'm getting about, ready so not, for him. Yeah, that yeah. peaty, mossy smell we right. might get when exactly. he's around as well. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's good to have you back on. It has been a long time since you've been here on the Ready Room. Of course, network listeners hear us together twice a week, every week on the Orb and Literary Treks. But today we're going to talk about DS9 here on the Ready Room. We're going to be joined by Eric Brazier from Trek About and also Daniel Prue from our very own Earl Grey to talk about Tom Riker and the Defiant. But we're going to talk about some news before that. And the first story we have is, in fact, about Riker in a way. It's about TNG. We're finally, this is hard for me to believe, Matthew, because I remember here on the show talking week after week about what it might mean to remaster the next generation and put it on Blu-ray. And in December, just a few months from now, we're going to be getting season seven. And that's it. All of TNG is now on Blu-ray, and CBS has released the trailer. All Good Things is going to be the single disc release this time. What do you think about all this? Well, Chris, uh, you know, I own now all of the seasons so far, 
Um, I have definitely been doing my part to support CBS and its venture of, of giving us uh, Star Trek on Blu-ray. I, I also own all of Enterprise on Blu-ray, and uh, I'm I'm just kind of watching, and I need to get uh, the original series on Blu-ray as well mm-hmm. I have that. sometime, because mm-hmm. they have all three of them together. Uh, it's very on, on inexpensive these days. Yeah, it you really is really in, in general. I, I won't be buying the films on Blu-ray because, well, they won't give me the... Uh, you know director's cut of the motion the, picture mo- yeah. the motion picture and 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 then on uh of course on the the wrath of khan and even uh star trek six and so i'm, I'm i i don't want to give those up and, and i just don't feel like paying for the movies again right now anyway even though you can get them in a great deal well, but they're really cheap and they do have some extras on there that aren't on the dvds they so. do but the problem is is that i don't want to watch the film as it's presented yeah. uh you know, I, I like those director's cuts. What and, they should do for, I, for people like so, you, Matthew, is they should have a TOS and TNG film collection on Blu-ray, but it's just the extras discs from all of the sets. Yeah, I, actually, I, I would be interested in that. I just, I, you know, I don't know. It, you know, I'm a I'm a Star Wars fan, and so I've had a few different versions of, of the film's but it just annoys me, you know, when it's not actually yeah. a better version of the film that's coming out, you know. It so. must just have been part of the, the remastering process or something. That maybe they, at that point in time, they didn't have all the elements. I suspect in the future somewhere they will release them because that yeah, way they'll be I able hope to get so. us to buy them. But again. Chris, we're talking about we're talking TNG, about TNG right right here. season and, seven, and, and uh, theme, I so. am excited about this. You know, there's some there's some great TNG episodes here that we're going to get. Of course, I think it's great that we're going to be getting all good things as the 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 end DVD. I, I obviously I think that's the best two parter here. It's one of the best episodes of any Star Trek ever. I think yeah, just a fantastic end. Obviously. Many people have talked about the fact that it's better than, you know, Generations as a film. Um, So it really does deserve its own two-part Blu-ray, I believe. But also, Chris, I think this is exciting. We're going to have TNG, and you're going to get it on Blu-ray. It's going to all be on there in the shelf. You know what's missing, Chris? What's that? Deep Space Nine right next to it. Well, of course. And that's what Larry and I talked about on the show here two episodes ago in fact like what what are the prospects of that so so let's not go too much into that right now but i will say that you know i'm buying tng on blu-ray a because i really want this stuff on blu-ray tng itself but also because i'm showing cbs that i also want ds9 and i also want voyager i want i want all of my star trek because like you i have all the tng seasons that have been released all the enterprise seasons i have tos I have all the single discs and I have all the films. So my message to CBS is I want to watch this stuff for decades to come. Please make it look beautiful for me. Well, and I think what's great, Chris, is that uh, the the what they've been doing with the Blu-ray sets, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett and the beautiful uh, extras that we've gotten. I mean, we're going to get a great three-part documentary here called Sky's the Limit talking about the eclipse of star trek the next generation i think really um in some ways eclipsing for a lot of fans tos you know i think star trek fans really didn't appreciate tos uh in a lot of ways until the last few years where it was brought back on blu-ray and they did the 
the the remastered series of it and, mm-hmm. and then i think a lot of fans even got more appreciation for it now that uh, mission log has gone through and talked Absolutely. about the entire tos yeah, series definitely. and uh and so this is a, a one of those things that for a lot of people star trek's the next generation was their star trek mm-hmm. and they feel like that this is to them what what star trek is and a lot of what you know it's funny chris we've had star five star trek um, series we've had five bonds and so you know you always have people talk about who's their bond and who isn't their bond you know and and i think we do that as star trek fans with with what series is is, is our favorite series whether you love star trek the next generation or not what it looks like remastered is just fan freaking tastic mm-hmm. and that's what i've loved about having these blu-ray sets and these conversations that they have with the different characters and behind the scenes extras and all that, that they've come up with. Not only that, Chris, but the commentaries on the episode have been fantastic. Like I That's was listening I to the Relics commentary mm-hmm. um, just the other day because I'd gotten my season six Blu-ray finally. I popped it in. I thought I'd really like to know behind the scenes about Relics because I know Ron Moore's doing it with Mike and Denise Akuda amazing i mean the you know i one ron moore is just a wealth of information as well as the akuda so putting those those people together on a commentary was just fantastic well ron moore and, and brandon braga are going to be doing commentaries for it looks like all good things is my guess mm-hmm. um as well as probably some of the other episodes and that'll so, be really cool because they did a commentary for generations generations yeah and of course exactly. in that they talk a bit about they were writing all good things at the same time mm-hmm. and, and the things we've heard before, but it'll be really cool to then have them doing one for all good things as sort of a companion to the one they've already done in the past on the generations film discs. And Chris, I know that you have bought all of the single discs episodes that we've gotten uh, of the two parters. So Chris, uh, on this one, what are you kind of expecting? And, and uh, you know, for me as a fan who hasn't bought those, I think this might be one where I'm on the verge of actually going ahead and getting it. This is the, I don't know, the creme de la creme of Star Trek right here. I mean, this is where the rubber hits the road. It is the perfect storm. The the writing and the, the portrayal of the characters, just everything in All Good Things for me has been, it's about as good as Star Trek gets. There is... There are a few little plot holes in it that you can point out if you want to. A couple things that are, are odd about it. But it's just such a good episode. And for me also, there's a nostalgic aspect to all good things. Because I remember when it aired. And I remember exactly what I was doing that day. I was you know, in the house in university. And we were having a barbecue outside. And I can remember cooking and everything we were making and then coming in to watch all good things as it aired and that opening scene and seeing Jordy in the vineyards with Picard and Picard's older and it was like wow what is going on here this is really interesting and then it all plays out and I mean we're all like clapping at the end it was such a good episode well and I you know what I think too Chris I I also think that that uh, at this point Ron Moore and Brian and Braga, you know, Ron Moore has been working, you know, with with uh, seeing Deep Space Nine kind of get its sea legs. You know, mm-hmm. do you think in any way that that Deep Space Nine does influence them kind of coming back full circle with Q 
and kind of the fact that they've begun to get a little bit more serialized with with uh, TNG mm. as the years have gone on. I don't know. And that they yeah. kind of thought to themselves, you know what would be a great... How do we end this show? I mean, TNG is at the top of its game, season six. So season seven, I think, is a little uneven in some areas. But the ending, hands down, one of the best endings on any show ever yeah um i don't know but if the I way they wrap it that... up it's like they just kind of come full circle in the same way yeah. i feel like emissary and and you know what you leave behind does too so i don't know it just feels like uh in some ways they really maybe had a little bit of um kind of deep says nine rub off you know where we're really gonna kind of how do we tie the bow on a show that rhymed it wasn't supposed to but it's not um and uh, i don't know i just feel like it, it really was the perfect storm yeah these two guys went in a room and created some magic i don't know if i think that it influenced it or not i can see what you're saying and it could be at the same time it was if you're looking back at the series at tng and thinking how can we tie this up and and make the whole journey really pay off for everyone. When you look back, who was the favorite recurring character? Q. And if you look back at Encounter at Farpoint and the fact that you had a trial where Q was putting humanity on trial, it seems like the obvious thing to do. And it's just, it was a brilliant move. I mean, it's, and it can't be repeated, I feel too. And that's what always disappointed me about the end of Voyager with end game where I really felt like they were trying to recapture the magic of all good things with a rather similar storyline with the time travel elements and such. And all good things was just that, that magic that sometimes things come together and you just can't recreate it. Well, and this is, this is a big deal, Chris. I, I think all good things captures the very spirit of, of the next generation and, and then kind of, putting it in a great place to move forward with the films. I think it really does that. Mm -hmm. it, Deep Space Nine, it, it's ending. What You Leave Behind definitely captures the brilliance of that that series and um, I, I think encapsulates the, the entire series from Emissary to its end perfectly. I, I, I think that um, the, the last two series, Voyager and, and, and Enterprise, I, I feel like almost in some ways they were overthinking it. You know, they're overthinking. We need this to be a brilliant end because we've already had all good things. We already had what you leave behind. Now, end game just has to be spectacular. Enterprise, same thing. It has to be a love letter to the fans instead of how do we encapsulate our series itself, you know? And, and that's where I just, I feel like you're, you're, you're doing somewhat of a disservice because you're not going back to the show. You're thinking about the larger whole and um, uh, of the, the Star Trek canon itself right. and how we're going to fit into that. And whereas I feel like, um, you know, TNG really especially was like, okay, how do we, how do we wrap up the beauty of our show? And they had already had it laid out at the beginning. Deep Space Nine, I feel like, did the same thing. So Yeah, well, TNG didn't have to worry about the overall franchise at that point because there was right. still so much yet to come. So that they had a different situation. But I, I think that mindset 
that it had, I think that also Deep Space Nine had, helped it be a good end to its series itself. I just kind of wish Voyager and Enterprise had played that out. So again, you know, this coming out on 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 Blu-ray, I'm super excited about. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll definitely be picking up. Uh, I do. I personally want to just thank CBS uh, for for going with this massive project, doing it the way that you've done it. Uh, it's been a class, you know, class A act the entire way. So really appreciate that. And, and everything that CBS has done with the Blu-rays, I think even for TOS, uh, and I also think for Enterprise has been a class act. Um, guys, we'd love to see this continue with uh, Deep Space Nine. But I'm really excited to be getting uh, the end of uh, TNG. It's yeah. been a long process for them. I know it's been a lot of work, but it's looked fantastic. The commentaries, the the, the extras have been great. And if you guys don't are, are out there and you're a fan and you don't have these, man, you really, I, I think you need to get them. Because yeah. just alone as a fan, it's fantastic to have these episodes looking, one, so good, and two, the extras are brilliant. Yeah. So if you want, and we say this all the time on the show, but if you, I think everyone loves TNG. I mean, of Star Trek fans, it's hard to find a Star Trek fan who doesn't like TNG. You find people who don't like the other series for different reasons, but TNG is just like, it's the staple of Star Trek that it's hard not to love TNG. And for so many of us, for, for me, original series is my first Star Trek, but for so many fans these days, TNG was the first so it's wonderful to have these. And if you want DS9 and you want Voyager on Blu-ray, you do need to buy these because it's a business for CBS and they need to see that we're going to buy the next thing they release if they're going to invest the money into it. The one thing that that does disappoint me about the releases so far, Matthew, is just that I wish there were a commentary track for every single episode. That's just the one thing that I, I want. And I know... It's very time-consuming to create them, and it costs money, but it would be so wonderful. And I hope when they do DS9, I want Ira and Ron and these guys on every single episode commentary, like like, like for Battlestar Galactica. If, if it's just Ronald D. Moore with a cigar and a glass of whiskey and his webcam mic, I'll be okay with that. I just want to hear, I want to hear them talk about every single episode. You know, I'm I'm with you, Chris. Um, I think that that is one of the things that you, we've seen that that you can really do with a, a, a series and really change the dynamic of the series by what the creators say about it. You know, for me, uh, I think we kind of got that honestly, Chris, with the Deep Space Nine companion. Oh yeah. So if God mm. forbid we never see any more extras or we never get Deep Space Nine for some reason on Blu-ray. I do have that as a backup, and I really appreciate that. You know, TNG is one of those shows now where um, a lot of people that originally liked it, you know, um, they're getting older, and a whole new generation is starting to find, a little pun intended there, a whole new generation is starting to really find TNG again. And the Blu-rays and the remaster and the beauty of the look of the show in HD is, is drawing in a whole new group of people to see this. And having that background information, I think, um, it, not only for fans, but even people who are just kind of coming into this and kind of, you know, this is a groundbreaking show. And um, 
kind of seeing what TV was like then as opposed to now, a whole new world for them. And uh, so I think kind of preserving this is really important. And I would love to see more because Ron Moore with Battlestar Galactica Mm -hmm. Would just do that. Yeah. He would well, just, I used to download them a podcast. as podcasts from iTunes. Exactly. He was doing them while they were actually making the show. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like what we're doing with Axanar, with Alec and I are doing with Axanar. We're actually chronicling the production of Axanar as we go along. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it, I just kind of almost wish in some ways, it, you know, like you said, it could just be Ron Moore sitting there with some scotch. But I... Mm-hmm. I feel like any of the creators, Renee or, or any of the other guys would sit around and, and talk oh, an episode. They would. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, no. So um, I and honestly, to have that put on an episode, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how difficult it is, but I I'm just agreeing with you. And, and at this point, I'm just rambling, Chris. Yeah, It's just time time consuming and getting people together and all. It's not easy, but I would love to see that. So I guess what we're really saying is. We love the extras. We love the extras. That's the that's what we just took fifteen minutes to say we love the extras. So there you and go. And if you had, if you're if you haven't gone out and gotten them, we feel like they're really they're worth really it. They're really worth it. So these will be out in December. We don't actually have a date yet. In fact, the trailer just says coming soon, but we know it is in December. But we don't have an exact date. I would suspect early December because I would think they would want to get these out in time for people to buy them as Christmas gifts. So uh, we will find out about that. I, I remember actually uh, this this year, if you go back to January, the Enterprise set came out after the holidays. It was supposed to be out sooner and it got pushed and it came out right after. So I, I don't think they'll want that to happen again. Well, Matthew, you mentioned during that discussion there, you mentioned Mission Log and the fact that they went through the original series and that has helped a lot of people discover the original series and appreciate it even more and for many people discovering it for the first time and i'd just like to take a moment here in the news to let everyone know that mission log is now available on trek fm we are really excited to have john and ken here on the network and you'll be able to get their episodes through our master feed the trek fm complete master feed that has every episode of every one of our shows, and we put other things in there from time to time too. And now you'll be getting Mission Log episodes there. Mission Log also has a section on our website, just like all of our other shows do. So you'll be able to go there and stream and get other things there. And we'll be sharing promotions that they have on the main Mission Log website with you on our website as well. And if you go to iTunes, you'll find Mission Log now in the Trek of Film Artist section. So they're right there with all of our other shows. And you'll be able to see them in all the different columns. And we'll be sharing some special themes from Mission Log with you there in our artist section as well. So just wanted to welcome Mission Log to Trek FM and let everyone know that uh, if you're wondering why Mission Log episodes are showing up in your master feed, well, that's why. In fact, Matthew, I put the first episode of Mission Log that was part of Trek FM, episode 102, into the master feed the other day, like three minutes, maybe five minutes maximum after I hit publish on that, got a tweet from, um, I think it was from our friend Greg Mullenby actually asking about why did this show up in my master feed? (laughs) So listeners are really watching that master feed and seeing when things appear. 
Well, Chris, and I, I just got to say, I'm so excited and, and honestly so honored that Mission Log would, would want to join uh, what we're doing here at, at Trek FN like this and, and just share with us. Um, they do have a unique show. I mean, they, the way that they format their show is different from the way that we format mm -hmm. the, our shows specifically. And so to, to have their thoughts uh, about the episodes, you know, I've been with them since the beginning. Uh, you know, I kind of found them. Uh, and uh, I'm so excited that uh, that they want to in any way partner with what we do because I enjoy listening to their commentary. I love when Ken and um, John are, are on occasionally on the, on the ready room. I think that's fantastic. So uh, it's great to have them with us. Their thoughts on Star Trek have, have really, I think, uh, especially with their rewatch now of, of The Next Generation, um, like I said, I haven't listened to a lot of, I watched a lot of that recently in my life. And so hearing them go through these these original, you know, first season episodes that that we kind of dog a lot these days uh, as fandom. Just because with writing and production compared to what we got later, it was not as polished, right? Exactly. But hearing them talk about some of these episodes and some of the strengths that they have, I'm mm -hmm. really excited yeah. to go back. And, and, and so, guys, welcome to the network. It's great to have you. You mentioned that you've been with them from the beginning, and, and I have as well. And in fact, if you go back to Matterstream 14, which I published on September 10th, 2012, Riot is actually with me on that Matterstream. And we talk about the creation of Mission Log. This was before it actually launched and what the plans were for that show, which is, it was really interesting to hear what Rod's reasons for creating it were. We, you know, talked about his dad's work a lot. Uh, and and we even, it's, a, it's kind of a hot topic today, but Rod and I actually talked back in 2012 about what if Star Trek, the next Star Trek were on Showtime or HBO, like what would that look like? So... Uh, you can go pick that up as well on iTunes or on the website, Matterstream 14, which is called Mission Log and Gene's Philosophy. So so uh, once again, welcome to uh, John and Ken, and, and thank you so much for sharing your content with our audience here through our master feed, and we're really pleased to be another channel for uh, distributing Mission Log. So Matthew, we have one other thing in news today here before we talk about Defiant, and I saw this story and I was thinking, should I put this one in the outline for today's show or should I choose something else? And I thought, you know, Matthew's co-hosting with me, so I really don't think I have an option. Gates McFadden unveils Crusher Contest fundraiser. It's all Dr. Crusher to raise money for her next theatrical production. I knew you'd love this. Chris, I would have gone Andorian fight scene all <laughs> over you if you had not. I'll take your blood to Andorra. You know, I, I saw this and uh, I think this is great. You know, I, I think a lot of fans, I think most fans, who, if you follow Gates, you you know that she is really big in the in the theatrical world. And she... And was uh, even her, before TNG. Exactly. I mean, she had a background directing theater before that, so... And her, her, I think her first love has has always been the theater, uh, and and one of the ways and that's uh, really manifests itself is in her creating content and and directing uh, in the theater. And so to be able to do that, um, she's she's doing this whole new Crusher contest, and this is Crusher with a K, yeah. which I assume must be for legal reasons. 
That's my guess yeah, as well. Because contest um, is also with a K. It's Crusher contest. Yes. Fans can submit a short play or a poem or a short story, and you've got a minimum of a thousand words, a maximum of two thousand words. So not too hard to do with either a sci-fi or historical theme. And and Crusher, quote unquote, can appear in any era, the past, present, or future. And so uh, she can be an Elizabethan crusher, maybe a 24th century crusher, a rapping crusher, maybe maybe a crusher who is, you know, a baker or okay. uh, a pie so Matthew, maker. Who what, knows? What is your dream crusher? Uh, you know, Chris, uh, I, I, oh, wow. I don't know if I should share that. It was a family <laughs> friendly show. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, I, I think personally to me, would I would love to see just a, some great crusher stories that involve her being a, a great medical officer. Um, you know, that just does not happen a lot um, in, in any of the Star Trek that we see. Um, you, you really don't get to see her shine. I, I feel like um, that's one of the areas where Deep Space Nine really took that idea of the chief medical officer and, and having them, you, you know, have a, a medical crisis that they really have to solve or figure out you know julian really gets to shine in a lot of episodes like that i just really didn't get to see that with crusher and so i just love that aspect mm-hmm. to get shown and uh that would really be my dream for the for the character but what's great is the character doesn't have to appear in a story specifically as the doctor from the next generation mm-hmm. you know you're free to kind of interpret this crusher character yeah any way you want as long as there's a character in the story named crusher that's it so i think exactly. it could be a male character named crusher as i understand the rules oh goodness here. well i i uh no uh i i think for me my dream crusher still has to be basically rooted in in her being gates mcfadden playing for you her, it right? would need it's, to be gates mcfadden yeah, yeah. Well, yeah it's exactly. not only that but she would have to still be a redhead for you right uh yes 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 um you know now i love this gate said yeah i'll do just about anything to develop new theatrical works i may even be forced to tap dance that night uh <laughs> when they uh, uh announce the the winners for the show okay. so i so thought that that was pretty funny how about this is a fundraiser <laughs> we get brent spiner and gates mcfadden back together and they do tap dance routines that would be great um you know i i don't know how light on his feet these days that Brent is. I, I feel like that like uh, Gates could, guy. could definitely do mm-hmm. that. Um, but I have them do a whole routine. Uh, and, uh, you know, the the more crazy and wacky it is, is dependent on how much money it is raised. I love it, Chris. Do you think that Gates should do a series of YouTube videos where she reenacts episodes of The Next Generation using One Eighth Beverly? that's funny chris i I was just thinking that there's a great picture here you have in the notes of of her with the little characters uh the action figures and and not even the new ones you know the nice ones from like an art asylum but these are those great figures we got from playmates i would love to see her do that um i where you know kind of be like a, a kickstarter thing where that's one of the rewards is having her play out certain scenes with the characters mm-hmm. where she's doing all the voices mm-hmm. Uh, that, would cool. that would that would be funny so she's doing her best John Luke <laughs> <laughs> or Worf or oh, any of the other characters yes. oh so, gosh um, yeah well speaking of that what happens here is 
fans can write these stories and they can submit them. Submissions are going to be accepted now through September 22nd. So by the time this episode drops, you only have about a week before the deadline. So we'll try to tell you about this through other channels also. But in November, November 22nd in Los Angeles, there's going to be the live event. And actually, the the judging committee is going to choose the 10 best entries and then Gates and friends are going to perform them live on a radio show. See, and that, that again, that's just so cool. I, I love seeing these celebrities take their passions and really find a way to involve the fans in them, you know, and, and get them involved. Because, you know, the way that that people like Gates and, and others in the theatrical community are going to raise money long term is to get the next generation involved yeah. and to get them excited. And I, I think that this is just one of those things where this is an inspired idea. Make people a part of it. Um, I, I think that the stars that I've seen that really succeed in that uh, have been the ones that make uh, fans feel like they're a part, whether it's on social media or otherwise. I think Gates has done a great job of that with having her one eighth Beverly yeah. and and really playing with her persona and being comfortable with it as Crusher and two using that as a forum to 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 kind of get fans interested in things they're interested in you know um, and and so I'm super excited to to see her do this and I really do hope that uh, it, it succeeds in raising a lot of money. Mm-hmm for um, more theatrical work from from Gates as a director and just as a creator. Definitely. So if you want to find out more about this, the website is gatesplays.com. So her name, Gates, and then P-L-A-Y-S dot com. And there is a Twitter account for this as well. The username is Gates underscore plays. And uh, that'll be a place where you can find out more about this project. And you can also get a first chance to get your seats for the live event. So we're looking forward to this and find out what people come up with. So that's all we have in news. We have two quick things for you here before the feature. Ways you can help us out here on the network. The first is Patreon. We have a new home on Patreon, which is a lot like Kickstarter, but instead of a single project, it's a way for you to support creatives on a monthly basis with a recurring contribution to a production. We've told you about this in the past few shows, so I'm going to keep this really short. But what you can do is go to patreon.com slash trekafilm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekafilm. And on that page, we have our current goals, things we need help with. We also have different milestone contribution levels and the perks that you get in exchange for those. And those include producer credits and a chance to sit in on recordings, be part of our content planning, and all sorts of things there. That's all outlined for you there on the page. So please go check it out. We've had a number of contributors already, and I really thank them all for supporting us. And I hope you'll go over as well and see what you can do, because we really depend on you guys, the listeners, to keep the network going and to keep Star Trek Talk coming to you every single day. Again, that's patreon.com com slash trekafilm and i really do appreciate your support there and the other way you can help us out is to check out our sponsor for today's show audible.com they're a wonderful source for audiobooks the best place you're going to find to get your audiobooks i've been getting mine from them for 14 years i have a huge collection and i absolutely love them and i know you will too and as a trekafilm listener you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying audible 
And we like to recommend a book to you every single week. And actually, Matthew, what I pulled out today is not Star Trek. What I pulled out today, what inspired me to do this, is our talk about the Crusher contest and the fact that they're going to perform those stories live, the uh, the 10 that win. This is a production of War of the Worlds, and it's a dramatization, and it features Gates McFadden, Leonard Nimoy, Brent Spiner, and a full cast. Chris, I think this is just fantastic. Um, you know, Brent Spiner ha- has a great voice for this and being able to do different uh characters and everything i think gates would be perfect leonard nimoy adding his voice to this as well i can't imagine just a more prolific voice cast you know just really iconic voices here uh, but at the same time pushing just one of the most iconic uh, sci-fi stories Mm -hmm. ever so man this is exciting i kind of want to go pick this up myself i just might yeah it's (laughs) wonderful i I love war of the worlds of course the original story by hg wells this is the 1938 orson wells dramatization the radio show which according to legend caused mass panic in new jersey and there's some debate over how true that was I, i heard a really interesting show about it on Big Picture Science, which is one of my favorite podcasts with Seth Shostak at the SETI Institute. But, but regardless of how true or, or, or mythical that panic is, it's a wonderful story, and I love the dramatizations. So you can get this absolutely free if you go to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and sign up for the trial. If you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep this book, so there's nothing to lose. But when you try Audible, it really does help us keep the ready room and all of our shows coming to you every single week. So go grab the dramatization of War of the Worlds by the LA Theater Works featuring Brent Spiner, Leonard Nimoy, and Gates McFadden. Again, audibletrial.com slash trekafilm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. When a transporter accident turned William Thomas into two separate people, it did more than just get Troy all excited about the prospect of two Rikers. It also set up a great crossover opportunity for TNG and DS9. Once the next generation had left the air and Deep Space Nine was in its third season, bringing Jonathan Frakes to the station made perfect sense. But this was much better than a cameo. Defiant played off of a unique event from Star Trek's past to create an episode that added to the story. So today we're going to talk about this episode and Thomas Riker and a few other things too, I'm sure. And to help us do that, we welcome back from the Trek About podcast, Eric Brazier. Eric, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me again. Great, glad you're here. And also from our own TNG crew, sipping Earl Grey at this very moment is Daniel Prue. Hey, uh, thanks for having me back again, Chris. I'm excited to talk about Riker. Well, we couldn't talk about a Riker without you here, Daniel. It's true. And and any Riker is, is a good Riker, so I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what Troy tells me. I think that's what all the ladies of the galaxy say. <laughs> 
All right. So, well, before we jump into the actual discussion here, we'd like to give a little synopsis of the episode for those who haven't seen it in a long time or who have never seen it. If you've never seen it, you might want to watch it before you listen to the discussion today. But this is the story of Thomas Riker coming aboard Deep Space Nine. But of course, no one knows that it's Thomas Riker at first. They all think it's William Riker because he's got a false beard. So how would you know? And it turns out that he wants to steal the Starship Defiant and use it as part of the McKees' resistance against the Cardassians and their fight against the Federation as well. And he kidnaps Kira, and they head into Cardassian space. Sisko and Dukat work together to try to stop the Defiant, and in the end, they manage to get the ship back. And Thomas goes bye-bye, but not before laying a big wet kiss on Kira. So that is the episode. Let's talk about initial thoughts and trying to remember when we saw this one the first time, because this is definitely one of those episodes where once you've seen it, it's never quite the same again, because you know that that is Thomas Riker who's on there. So, Daniel, what do you remember about seeing this for the first time? You know, well, it's so funny because, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but it's the silliest reveal of all time, I think, is when it's about to go to the commercial What's going on? Why is Will Riker stealing a Federation starship? And it, it pans up to him and he just takes off his sideburns. Like it's it's <laughs> the most ridiculous scene ever, but it's cheesy and great and I love it. But um, the first time I saw it, of course, you're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why? Why is Riker doing these things? He says he's got three months worth of leave built up and Beverly is just now. Uh, right before Generations, I think, is when this takes place. So probably a bad time for, for Will Riker to go back to Risa. Uh, so you're wondering what's going on, what's going on. And uh, yeah, you're right. You kind of, it's, it's, I think this episode loses a tiny bit upon repeat, repeated viewings. But like I said, any time to see Riker spread his uh, effect across the galaxy is is okay oh, with okay. me. Yeah. I wasn't sure where you were going with that, Daniel. <laughs> What about you, Eric? Well, I think I, I first watched Deep Space Nine on DVD. And I, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure that the reveal was spoiled for me, unfortunately. So I went in knowing about it. But that said, it, the episode worked for me the first time I saw it. And, you know, I think it works because everybody is obviously having so much fun. And I think Jonathan Frakes is... You know, he had just come off of TNG. He was doing, you know, he had filmed Generations. So he still was very good at playing Will Riker. And I think he was having a lot of fun breaking out of that a little bit and playing something slightly different. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also it's just a really good example of sort of like, you know, mid-period DS9, which I think kind of gets, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, people don't pay as much attention to it as sort of maybe the later stuff, which everybody loves. So I really right. like this one. Man, I remember watching this for the first time, and, and I, the thing that always stood out to me and, and kind of gave it away before the big reveal of, you know, pulling off the sideburns as if that's the biggest shocker ever um, yeah. was when Riker has that run in with O'Brien, and it doesn't make sense whatsoever. Yeah, like, exactly. there's nothing on the next generation that right. you've ever seen to kind of 
um, make that come to life for you where you're like, oh yeah, I remember that time that they really got into it because like that ever happened on the next generation. Um, and so, <laughs> well, it was that time when, when he caught O'Brien going out with Troy. Oh, that okay. Really <laughs> okay. Yeah. Before he was dating Keiko. And so yeah, he got back at O'Brien yeah, yeah. by taking Keiko out, which was not cool either. Yeah. And so ever since then, you know, they just, they don't get along. Come on, come on, guys, bro code. Let's come on. Yeah, I, you'd, <laughs> you'd, you'd think they would have read that bro code, but uh, apparently not. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, Chris, uh, for me, we, we mentioned, I mentioned on the other side of the room. The other side of the room. But what really gives this away, he does not put his leg up on anything at any time during this episode. Exactly. So especially mm-hmm. when he meets Kira for the first time, we know Riker would have his leg propped up. The real Will Riker. Now, Thomas Riker, he doesn't learn that move. You know, he didn't have, he wasn't really spending his time those seven years when he's locked on, away on that planet, really uh, perfecting his moves on women. He's just trying to stay alive. Whereas Will Riker right. has been really working on his game. And so uh, that's the big difference that I see here uh, and kind of the big giveaway no matter when yeah. you watch well, this you know that and he also didn't step over the back of any chairs oh, goodness yeah which is so yeah. strange for for a Riker not to do because I, I thomas Riker does that as well doesn't he i would think so i mean daniel you're our resident tng expert doesn't doesn't thomas Riker? I, I feel like i remember him stepping over the back of some chairs i mean i did watch uh second chances i think right that's what it's called um uh, just the other day but i don't remember him specifically okay. doing that but it's one of those mm-hmm. subtle things that Riker does that unless you're looking for it you're just like oh that's, just that's Riker true Riker, that's true so. that that's my question right. about it because you know tom Riker is an exact dna duplicate of will Riker. so is the leg raise and the chair stuff innate or is that something that tom Riker is having to like consciously you know uh, uh, uh su- suppress all the time so maybe he's just thinking about i can't do that with my leg i can't do that with my leg <laughs> Well, I okay. Now here's a project for everyone. (laughs) Here's a project for everyone. I don't know why I've never thought about doing this before. We need to all go back and watch the Icarus Factor and find out if Kyle Riker steps over the back of. I was just going to say I don't think that uh, Papa Riker has those tendencies to do it. So I mean, maybe it's maternal. For all we know, you know, we don't know. (laughs) Maybe, Uh, but I do. Okay, I do think we need to talk about this because every time I watch this episode. I get bothered by the O'Brien scene. I don't understand it. It bothers like that's what throws me off every time. I'm like, wait a minute, am I forgetting something from TNG? Has something allegedly happened in between? Because I feel like O'Brien would have said, "What? The, like, what are you talking about, man? Why are you so grumpy?" At right. Me? That's well, the thing. Like, the scene itself is there as a giveaway to you that that's not Will Riker. But as you're saying, Daniel, you would expect that O'Brien would say, "Like, dude, what? What? What's up?" See what that, did I do to you? See, that's where I disagree because Chief O'Brien is a good Irishman. And if there's one thing that Irishmen don't like doing, it's talking about their feelings. So he would just go with it. He'd say, okay, that's fine. I'm going to walk away now. Okay. Well, that's what he did. So, yeah. Maybe Colmini said that. Maybe maybe they wanted him to say something. And he said, look, I'm a good Irishman. I would just walk away. <laughs> Although on this viewing, I did notice um, a scene that maybe kind of is put there for the, for people like me who doubt that, but he, he exits the, the defiant, uh, and then stops, pauses for a second and looks back and he's like, and you can kind of tell he's thinking, wait a minute, something weird just happened there. Maybe something's not right. Mm-hmm. So that at least restores some of my faith in chief O'Brien, but that, that scene still kind of bothers me because it feels very 
well, plot driven. It's for the, for the it's like I said a few minutes ago. Since they last saw each other, Riker has gotten into Troy's email. He's been reading her email, reading her text messages. O'Brien's been busted. O'Brien just doesn't know it. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe or, or maybe the last time he was on the station, him and O'Brien had a fight or something. You know, they had a little bit of a, t- a, a, a scuffle or something. Yeah. You know, they were fighting over the last glass of Irish whiskey that, you know, Quark had or something like that. Because, <laughs> I mean, Riker has been here in Emissary, and he's also been here with Birthright, too. So... Maybe there's mm-hmm. something that happened in those times where, you know, something came up and who knows, but I'm with Daniel. This this scene to me just always feels completely incongruous with what we know because it it's like yeah. Will Riker's never been mad at anybody in his life. The guy's so happy go lucky all the time, you know, well, like you know, unless it you're Kyle cool. Riker and then he's pissed at you eternally. I I you know, it's yeah. I don't get it. Well, that's why I say it's just there to tip you off that something's not right. Maybe this isn't actually Will Riker. And and presumably um, he could act just as much like Happy Riker as he could Mad Riker. And unless he was thinking there was a reason O'Brien would be very specific, like, hey, remember that one time last year or two years ago when th- this exact adventure happened? Ha ha ha. Remember that joke? Like, why is he scared? Why, is he, why can he be like, oh, hey, O'Brien, how are you? Like, obviously Thomas, I don't know if he would have, he would have met O'Brien. I don't know if O'Brien was gone by that point. But anyways, why couldn't he have just said, oh, how are you, Chief? Because obviously he knew they had a pre-existing relationship. Yeah. Well, let's talk about bringing Riker on to the show in the first place. And the the idea of bringing him over. With, with the different Trek series, they often look for opportunities to have some crossovers of characters. DS9 brought Q over. We, I know Matthew and I feel like it didn't really work. They brought Lawaxana Troy over, which we feel like worked really well. And but th- those are the same characters, though, coming over. So you had to find a reason. But in this case, if they had brought William Riker over, it might feel like a cameo appearance. And why is he there? But because it's Thomas Riker, it's actually really interesting to continue telling that story from Second Chances and what happened to Thomas after he left the Enterprise. But what do you guys think? How about... Eric, what do you think about this concept of using DS9 as a platform to keep telling that story of Thomas Riker? Well, I think it works really well. And I mean, that's something that Deep Space Nine, you know, did a lot of and did it really well. I think, you know, in my opinion, like better than any other Trek series where they just sort of picked up on sort of one-off things or characters that perhaps did not get their due on The Next Generation and really did something interesting and made them more. And it also really, I think it was a good opportunity for them to, you know, it, it, Thomas Riker was sort of a cipher. He only appeared once. You know, he obviously, we know a lot about Will Riker. The the writers on Deep Space Nine, I think, had a good understanding of the character of Will Riker. He's very ambitious. You know, he would he would want to prove himself. So Tom Riker, I think, you know, they even say that he becomes a Maki and he does all these crazy things with the Defiant because he's trying to prove prove himself that he's different from Will Riker. So why not make him a Maki terrorist? It locks you in. It gets you something interesting, some good scenes with Kira. Uh, I think it really works well. Yeah, and you know, uh, Matthew brought up birthrights and all of these uh, these previous times that will has supposedly crossed over uh or it's not supposedly technically had i mean he was there an emissary though we didn't see him and part of the episode the beginning of the episode when thomas is impersonating Riker, 
uh, Will, uh, I, I got the feeling of almost like I wish I saw Will, like all these adventures he's talking about. And like when he quickly covers for Dax, when he's like, oh, of course, you, you know, you loaned me the money. That was a great night. We had a lot of fun. And like, I feel like obviously Thomas as well, but Will would definitely kind of fit in. He's got that happy-go-lucky kind of like, he's, you know, he, he enjoys his vices and there's lots of vices at Quark's and he would probably fit in there. And I kind of wish we mm-hmm. saw that with Will Riker. But then, of course, as the episode goes on and we find out he's Thomas Riker, you're right, it takes a very different tone. And we do learn a lot about this character who we only got the one time in, in The Next Generation. And, and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, but they set him up to be at least a recurring character probably one more time. Who knows, maybe more if they wanted to, but they never kind of, mm-hmm. they, they didn't pay off on that, unfortunately. And I really would mm-hmm. have liked to have seen what they could have done with Thomas Riker, like really diverge the Rikers from each other, really, really separate what, how Tom is different than Will. And I thought that would have been really, really interesting. I just had an idea. What if like with Tasha and how her daughter Zella becomes a Romulan, what if Thomas Riker had become Cardassian and he played sort of a similar role. He was sort of a thorn in the side of Cisco in a later episode. Let's not go down that road again. <laughs> well, specifically, it. what I was thinking about is is because I know I was reading Memory Alpha about they decided apparently sometime after this episode was filmed that they didn't want to pursue that. And I was like, well, what if right? What if Thomas Riker was somehow in league with uh, Eddington or something? I don't know. Like, there seem to be appropriate times to bring him back. Why, yeah. why not like just for you know just for an interesting because you know that's deep space nine is known for let's have 22 characters and and really delve into all of them and uh mm-hmm. they set it up for this guy but they just i feel like they just kind of they, they let it drop i guess they let the ball drop on that one well there's a mm-hmm. lot of times too uh, this is the the cool thing about having deep space nine set after you know, a majority of TNG is that you can kind of take what you did on TNG and what you found interesting, you get to grow. I mean, they took the idea of the Bajorans, they took the idea of the Cardassians, they took the idea of, I mean, they take, they take Worf, um, they, they take a lot of these uh, next generation ideas and, and really get to build on them. And because of the freedom they have, I think on, on Deep Space Nine in, in, um, you know, where they can go with the characters, they can come sometimes push them further than they could on TNG and the kind of the restrictions they had with, um, you know, genes, very specific ideas. Um, and, and that's, that's not really a knock against TNG. Exactly. It's just, it's just the way it was on TNG. And and then DS9 changes a little bit so they can kind of move those forward. And I think even just getting the one episode with, uh, Riker, Thomas Riker was, was really fantastic that they, they kind of took that whole idea and they moved it forward. And, it would have been great to kind of see more, but I, I really do like what they do here is they have this guy and, and, you know, he has this whole conundrum of he really isn't like a terrorist. He is more of a Starfleet type guy, yet he has these kind of uh, just different political leanings, you know, and but he's still moving on with his heart. And I think that's a really great thing. Um, it does give us a lot more insight into that character than we got in Second Chances. And um, it was just uh, one of the benefits of, of TNG coming right after, uh, you know, most of the next generation. And I'm I'm really glad that they mm-hmm. picked up on this because it is an interesting story plot. And like Daniel, I totally would have been OK with them having him on more. I, I just 
Mm. Not Ron Moore, on Moore. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think, uh, you know, with with the show and, and I, I, I kind of think at this point they may already know that they're going to be getting Worf in the fourth season because I feel like they're already kind of building some story elements. We'll talk about that later. So I think that may be the reason that we don't see any more of Frakes back on the show because if you put him and Dorn on the same show you're really pushing this that we can't do this without leaning so heavily on the next generation. Yeah. If it were Thomas Riker in a later episode and Worf were there, I think for me that would be fine. I don't think that would be perceived as saying we can't do this show without TNG elements because at that point, Thomas Riker would really be more of a DS9 element, just the way that the Maquis... Although they were created for Voyager, the Maquis are actually more of a DS9 thing than they are a Voyager thing. So I think Thomas Riker, even though he originated on TNG, if you had a few episodes with him here, I would really feel like this is a DS9 character that just happened to originate on TNG. Do One thing I was thinking about earlier today, imagine this episode. We already talked a lot about the encounter that Riker had with O'Brien and how that kind of tips us off that maybe this isn't Will Riker, but also it's sort of um, an uneasy feeling there. What if this had happened after Worf were already on the show? Can you imagine this episode working if Worf were actually stationed on DS9 at this point? Do you think Worf would have realized that this isn't William Riker right away? That would have been a great kind of element, I think. Like, I think it would have been kind of like a... If they played it right, like it could be like, you know, what, whatever Thomas does, maybe something is just a little off to Worf. And, you know, Worf, obviously, you know, there's Worf and Riker have a tremendous relationship. And uh, and I would think that he would kind of be able to tell, but maybe he wouldn't put all the pieces together until the very end of it. Uh, so I think that would be just an interesting kind of mini plot, maybe in, in throughout mm-hmm, the episode mm-hmm. where Worf is like, um... Why is he acting so a little, you know, why is he acting so off? But anyways, that's just kind of how I think they, they would have probably gone with it. I think I think you're right. But I think, you know, the episode is already so plot heavy and it's so stuffed with things going on because, of course, you know, all the Tom Riker stuff is there. But then you have all this stuff with Ducat and Cisco and the Obsidian Order and all of that stuff um, that I think having that, you know, if Worf was on the show at this time and Tom Riker was, they would have had to really dealt with that. And I think you would have. I think they probably would have given, you know, the other plot elements short shrift and to to their to their discredit, I think, because the other parts of the episode are, are really strong as well. So it would have been a different show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but a more interesting question is if they if he came back after Worf was on the show, how would Worf have handled, you know, mm-hmm. this quote unquote terrorist version of of one of his good friends of, of William Riker, of Thomas Riker? How would that because Deep Space Nine likes to do these things. It would it would turn that into an interesting relationship, an interesting story element. Like, you know, you know how Worf is. Worf uh, would I probably think, just I be think, really mad at him the whole yeah, time. Yeah, having having him come back um, and then at that point, probably having Worf on the show um, would have been really fantastic. I mean, you you really, I think you even have the ability to do that with the upheaval of the Cardassian Klingon War that happens, and um, you know obviously the destruction of the obsidian order and everything like that you really have a great opportunity to to bring thomas Riker back and maybe and have him like a three-part arc or something like that and it doesn't even have to be necessarily about uh, the maquis or whatever maybe he, he 
he just I, you know i don't know becomes a freedom fighter for with uh the uh on the Cardassian side, how crazy would that be, or something? I mean, you, we've seen people change all the time on, on Deep Space Nine and kind of grow. And I, I just think this would have been really interesting to have Worf deal with a whole nother Riker and try and figure out whether he likes this Riker or not. I, I think that would have been a, just kind of a fascinating story idea. And again, I, I'm with you, Chris. I, I think that um, you can have Frakes playing Thomas Riker in the show. And I think you could do it as a recurring character, you know, just like any of the other recurring characters until the very end of Deep Space Nine, if you wanted, um, because he would have definitely been a Deep Space Nine character. So it really is, to me, just kind of a missed opportunity in the end, uh, because this is this is a, something I think Deep Space Nine really excelled at. And, and it's just kind of disappointing why I think as a fan of Deep Space Nine and TNG and I just see them kind of drop a storyline like this that could have yeah. been really rich. But, mm-hmm. I mean, when you look through seasons four, five, six, and seven, they're pretty plot heavy in general. I mean, there's a lot going on already. So maybe two, throwing in Thomas Riker is just one more thing they might have to try and juggle. And that, that could be difficult because there's already going to be a yeah. lot going on. Especially with yeah. the addition I, of Worf. I don't know if I would want to to see Thomas Riker as a regular character on the show, but as we'll talk about later on, towards the end here, having him come back a few times, I think would have been cool. The, the one thing that makes me think is, you know, maybe they could have had Thomas Riker come back in, in season five or season six and, you know, kind of have this interaction with Worf. And, you know, there was a lot of uh, things going on with the Klingons at that point, the Alliance and things like that. And it would have been really interesting to have Thomas Riker really do a 180 and say, okay, I'm going to leave Starfleet and I'm going to join up with the Klingons or something, you know, and I, I think that would have been a, an interesting way to sort of connect the two characters in a different way. Because, you know, I always got the sense on TNG that, you know, Will Riker and Worf respected each other and, and had sort of a friendship, but it's not like they were super close. And I think it would have been interesting to see that kind of relationship or that kind of friendship blossom on Deep Space Nine a little bit. Which leads to the one important question, and I think, uh, would Thomas Riker have been invited to the Wharf Jedzia wedding? Because <laughs> as a TNG fan, I'm very bitter that no <laughs> nobody from the Enterprise was invited to the wedding. Yeah. I think you have to talk to the uh the casting budget there. No, no, I mean I understand <laughs> yeah. in the real world why why they're not there. But I mean, you know and and you we've been talking about this this whole time like what if what if what if and and like i appreciate this episode i'm glad they brought thomas Riker back and i'm just greedy i just want to see more i'm like yes let's more. see more and more and more and more I, definitely- I was it was just mentioned about whether oh so william Riker and Worf respected each other but they weren't all chummy i was just picturing something like how i met your mother i was wondering if Worf would have been a good wingman for Riker. oh yeah have you met tom <laughs> they they become the bosom buddies of of deep space nine you know they room together and <laughs> i think they're pretty oh, chummy man. though i think you know, the, you know there's the, the the famous episode the offspring when Riker is is trying to free his um uh neutral friend i don't know what you would say i was gonna say girlfriend or boyfriend but it's a gender neutral gender neutral friend. friend but Worf instantly volunteered for for him because he said you know you're my friend this is what i do I did this for you. He yeah. puts on his Klingon ninja outfit and goes to the planet with him. So I, they, you know, they, I do consider Worf and 
and Riker, good close friends, actually. Um, even though most of the time they keep the relationship professional, but there's definitely a lot of elements mm-hmm. in TNG where they they grow to like each other and respect each other more than just comrades. Yeah, it wasn't until he started dating Troy that that all fell apart. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think yeah. I think that's actually a good way to put it. I think that Worf respects Will Riker, and I I, I wonder if Worf would have respected Tom Riker. Maybe he wouldn't have, and maybe that would have been an interesting dynamic to explore. Okay. Well. So here's the thing. Let's transition to the next topic, which is the Maquis connection here. And with whether or not Worf would respect Thomas Riker, I think after Thomas Riker starts fighting with the Maquis, I could see Worf not respecting that because it seems like something that Worf would view as being dishonorable. Yeah, absolutely. This is the this is exactly the kind of thing that he would get his you know panties in a bunch about on TNG, like. Oh, you wouldn't do this, blah blah blah. You know, you know, he. This is not honorable. Sneaking around and blowing up outposts and blah blah blah. You know, that's how you know that's how he was, and and that's why I think he would be mad at Thomas Riker, especially post this episode, post Defiant, and that would be interesting to, to explore because, of course, they they would get into some crazy hijinks, and Thomas Riker would do something to show how honorable he was to Worf, and then maybe that could grow from there. But yeah, I definitely don't think mm. he would approve of of that situation. Well, it was great to have, um, you know, just Thomas Riker and his connection with Maquis here keeps the kind of the Maquis story line alive for deep space nine in general. And the fact that they're always still there, you know, like this isn't a problem that's going to get solved and it doesn't even really get solved later on. They just get all wiped out uh, because of the dominion, Uh, the dominion literally just goes in and kills them all. And so, um, this storyline is is kind of there uh, as a through line for Deep Space Nine for a very long time. And so um, I like that they bring this in there. I think it makes sense for Thomas Riker to be the kind of guy who, who wants to distinguish himself from Will Riker, but begins to have his own feelings about what's right and what's wrong in this universe that he's now a part of and, and back in. And for him, this is, you know... Well, what do you see as the reasoning behind getting involved with the Maquis for Thomas Riker, though? I think he... I I mean, he even says it in the episode, you know, people are dying out there, and the Federation and Starfleet doesn't seem to care. So do you think he feels that way about Starfleet because they left him? I mean, they didn't know he existed, but they abandoned him for eight years and he comes back. It just seems like there are things happening all over the place all the time. So he picked one very specific cause. Yeah, it, it is one thing that stood out to me. Like, it it doesn't, I don't think it hurts the episode in any way. They They have a throwaway line of him serving on some ship and then starting to voice opinions. Like, hey, okay. this isn't right. Mm. And... That was kind of enough for me. Like in the back of my mind, I was saying, okay, um, it's still a big flop from the last time we saw him. Uh, But for the sake of the episode, it doesn't bother me. I can go with it. But I feel like there's an interesting story there. And I think maybe it it might go to show the difference between Will and Thomas Riker as to why it bothers Thomas so much that he would join up with these people. Um, Of course... You know, as we mentioned before, this is already a packed episode. You can only fit so much, so uh, you have to leave plenty of time for the sideburn removal. So, 
my my own take on that is, I mean, and it's been a long time since I've seen Second Chances, so you know, my my remembrance of Tom Riker and how he initially appears is a little uh, muddled. But you know, I kind of remember, you know, Thomas Riker thinking he's Will Riker. He's sort of stuck as a as a lieutenant or something like that. You know, he comes back seven years later. This man who he didn't even know about is is suddenly the first officer on the flagship of Starfleet. And he's stuck again on some, you know, medical ship or something. Who knows where he is? And what we know about Will Riker is that he's a very, very uh, charismatic and very, very um, demanding person. And so and, and a very sort of uh, uh, ambitious. And so what I see from that is is Tom Riker looking for a way to help the Federation as much as he can. And he realizes that he can't do that being in Starfleet because Will Riker, he's always going to be in the shadow of Will Riker. And so, because, you know, if you look at what he does with the Defiant, you know, Kira makes this point. Kira's a terrorist, right? And and Kira was a good terrorist. Um, Will Riker, or, sorry, Tom Riker is not a good terrorist. He's not out there blowing up, you know, supply lines and things like that. He's Kira tr- tells him, you're really bad at this. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. I think that's I think that's the reasoning why he wants to do something really big to expose what the Cardassians are doing. And suddenly Starfleet and the Federation are going to make him the, the first officer of the flagship of Starfleet. You know, I, I think, too, for for Tom, uh, it, it sounds like he just had some abandonment issues and he mm-hmm. probably just needed to go sit on a nice counselor's couch for a while or maybe lay down. We know that sometimes is better for Will. And so maybe it works better for Tom, too. Uh, and and talk these out you know this is this is why we have counselors and 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 tng and and then uh, not really so much on deep space nine until esri comes around and there's finally a counselor on the station and if there's one place that needed a counselor it was it was deep space nine but yeah i think he just has abandonment issues um so that's really what it comes down to so he feels like the maquis have been abandoned and he's on their side (laughs) so here's another angle Tell me what you think about this. We're going to go off screen now. We're going to go to the literary universe. So written five years after this episode aired is the fourth book in the Double Helix series, which is called Quarantine, and it was written by John Bornholt. And the story there centers on Tom Riker and gives an explanation for why he joined the Maquis. So tell me if this makes sense to you. He is serving as a medical courier for Starfleet, and they go to a planet in the demilitarized zone that is controlled by the Cardassians now. And there's this disease on the planet. And the Cardassians want to destroy the planet instead of letting the disease spread, but also instead of letting anyone try to cure the disease. And Tom Riker encounters Chakotay and Bolana Torres and the Maquis group. And he works with them to get the medical supplies to the people so they can cure the disease so they won't be destroyed by the Cardassians. So in this case, it also becomes Chakotay's idea for Tom Riker to steal the Defiant. And this also explains why maybe he feels like the Cardassians need to be driven away to protect the people who live in the DMZ. What do you guys think about that take on why Tom Riker would decide to be part of the Maquis? I, I think it, I, to me, it, it, it works. It, one of the kind of the, benefits of having the literary universes you can go in and fill in these gaps um where, where so as as danny was th- talking about earlier we kind of would love to see some of those adventures that will riker had on his own you know the actual will riker and here it's kind of interesting to see the adventures of tom riker and 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 what may have really led to this you know uh because as 
Daniel mentioned there's there's the great line that he does give about saying uh, are, are you here talked about that uh, Thomas Riker started voicing opinions on on the ship that he was on and and then you know just kind of disappeared and so I think it it's kind of great to have this be where um, the the genesis of that comes from kind of seeing the the situation you know and unlike Cisco who sees the situation of the Maquis and is not moved thomas is and um and and decides to try and do something about it um i don't know if this is necessarily chakotay's best idea ever but <laughs> it's not bad you know i mean they 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 get close to getting away with it so matthew what was chakotay's best idea ever? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh goodness uh probably uh you know trusting that guy named tuvok <laughs> uh, probably his best idea ever all right. Now I like what Daniel said, building the the bathtub, right? For <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was his best job. That was his best idea. Ever. Way to go, Coco. <laughs> All right. What were you going to say before, Daniel? Oh, I was just going to say. See, this is the like Star Trek as a whole. If you look at it, it's big and complicated, and there's lots of things going on. So, you know, and I'm not a. I haven't read hardly any of of, of the the extended Star Trek universe. So, uh, except for maybe Ships of the Line. I'm uh, working on it. I'm actually okay, working okay. on it uh, for, for Darren's sake. Uh, but, um, you know, so I understand, like, of course, you want to fill in gaps and stuff. But the first thing that pops in my mind is, like, is Death Wish? And why wouldn't Chakotay have been, like, when when Riker shows up in that episode, Chakotay should have been, like, hey, I knew a guy just like you, and I told him to do something. Like, you know. <laughs> Uh, but that's of course that's the silly thing but but that's just the, the and of course that, that episode came long before this book was written as well so yeah how about you eric what do you think about this well i mean you know it's like uh it's not a bad idea but like you said he almost they almost pull it off i think that it's it's you know i, I don't know the, the novels for me um i like reading them and I'm, I'm sort of working my way through the deep space nine relaunch finally after you know 15 years <laughs> And uh, but they do have a tendency to sort of, I think, make it seem like a very small universe. And so, uh, you know, the, whether or not it's a good idea or not, I think having it be Chakotay's idea makes it sort of like there was one guy in the entire Maquis. And, you know, it's, it's sort of just kind of this idea that, you know, there are only like seven actors in the whole in the whole universe and um, they do everything. So it's it, it just right. it's just kind of funny for me on that level, I think. Yeah. They've gotten better about not doing that as much because that was one of my criticisms as well for a long time. It's just it, too many people know each other and there have to be more people there. But all right. Well, well, that was an explanation there as to why he would be a part of the Maquis. And let's actually let's go ahead and talk about the part of the story that still revolves around the Maquis, but revolves around Cisco and Ducat and the Obsidian Order, and the fact that Tom Riker is taking the Defiant to go destroy these shipyards. But of course, he doesn't, well, he doesn't know for sure if they exist, but he's pretty sure that they do. But even if they do, the Maquis are thinking that the Cardassians are building up military here in order to attack the people living within the DMZ, and so they want to take it out. But actually, that's not what's going on. Matthew, as you talked about on the other side of the room... The other side of the room. This is actually a setup for what comes later on in the season and is the beginning of the end for the Obsidian Order and the Tal Shiar. Yeah, the, the Obsidian Order is going to end 
completely. I mean, they will be utterly destroyed after this. There will be no more obsidian order, which is a huge, actually, uh, problem once the, uh, you know, we get the pro we get uh, the Dominion coming in because they they would have been a huge deterrent for the Dominion being able to I think come in and take over Cardassia. I think this episode clearly shows that Ducat is not a good leader. Like his mind is never on what he's doing. Uh, and in the Obsidian Order lady, she points that out. Like if we only had somebody yeah. like Sisto, but Ducat's mind is never where it needs to be. Well, and, and and who else points that out later on in the series? Wayun has the same it, thoughts about exactly. Dukai, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I think that, you know, seeing the fact that really in the end, the founders are all going to be behind this all is, is really mm -hmm. um, some interesting setup because this, this episode is going to set up the fact that, you know, you're going to get rid of the, the obsidian order. You're going to severely cripple the Tal Shiar. Uh, you're going to be planning the idea of the founders soon being all over the place with uh, the dais cast um, and that whole two-parter where that actually happens. And then the very end, of course, where Odo kills one of the founders. And then, of course, yeah. you have Worf coming on because of this whole Klingon war. So they're setting up a ton of stuff in this episode. And yet you never feel like you're being really cheated because there's so right. much going on in this episode. No, you, because it's still connected to what to the yeah, main story. Exactly. I just had a thought right now. So the reason they're building up the ships... I don't know if we've really explained clearly for those who aren't aware of exactly what happens. The They're building up these ships for the invasion that they're planning. The Romulans and the Cardassians go to attack the Founders' homeworld. And of course, they, they fail, and that's the end of that. But if Thomas Riker had succeeded in destroying this shipyard right now, do you think he could have averted the Dominion War? Because if they had not tried to attack the Founders' homeworld... Would the Dominion have decided on a full-scale invasion of the Alpha Quadrant? Uh, I mean, I don't should I don't think I should jump in in front of the two, <laughs> um, you know, Deep Space Nine experts here. I I always got the impression that, yeah, like they were planning on it anyways. I mean, they may have jump started it, and maybe I'm missing misremember. So it's interesting. I'm actually uh, I'm doing a rewatch, a chronological rewatch. So I'm basically I'm like. I was like five episodes ahead of this or something. I was basically at the part where um, Garrick tortures Odo. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so I'm right in the middle of that that kind of whole thing. And it was amazing to me because you think of this as the Thomas Riker steals the Defiant episode. That's what it is. But there's so much more important things going on in the background that affect the rest of Deep Space Nine. And I don't know. I Maybe you guys might disagree, but I always got the impression that uh, it was an imminent threat at all times, the Dominion. So even if the Tel Shiar and uh, the Obsidian Order didn't go and attack them, they still would have. They still would have made their yeah. way across the wormhole. I, I feel like they they were definitely filling things out, but I feel that the attack on their homeworld was sort of like going up to a beehive and sticking a stick up inside and rattling it around. That 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 really made them realize that. These people on the other side of the wormhole are a huge threat to us. So we need to just jack up whatever we were planning and make sure we take them out. Yeah, because well, I, I always sort of got the impression that, you know, the founders didn't do anything quickly and they were very, very, very slow to make decisions. And so this was kind of the, you know, if this was the impetus for the war, then 
this was the thing that caused them to turn on a dime and to really say, you know, these alpha quadrant humanoids are more of a threat to us than anything else that we've ever seen before. We need to take care of this immediately. But at the same time, I think they would have come to that same conclusion five or 10 years later. So eventually may have delayed the war or may have, you know, sped up the war, but it would have eventually come anyway, I think. Well, we have to remember too, they are behind the buildup. The founders, they're the ones behind this buildup. They're behind the fact that, that they think that they know where the founder's home world is so they can go and destroy it. Remember when they get there, their whole fleet is obliterated because they're ready for them because they've set this up already. So if Thomas Riker, though, destroys the Cardassian fleet here or at least discovers it and it's broadcast, say, to the Federation and the Cardassians... I think the founders have a huge problem because those ships fall back probably into the Cardassian military's hands. They don't need to be part of of um, the Dominion anymore because of a war that may or may not happen then with Klingons. There's a lot of things that could could fall out of order for the founders here. And yet they get very lucky because their plan is going to go unscathed because Thomas Riker doesn't make it there. And obviously the Cardassians don't find out enough about the Soraya system to have a really big, you know, beef with the Obsidian Order. So, I mean, they're really behind it. Um, And a a lot of things could have gone differently for the founders and could have really, I think, delayed the Dominion War, but it doesn't happen that way. Um, And so obviously that storytelling too, because the writers, I think at this point, Ira and the rest, they kind of know where they're going with the Dominion. It gets delayed for a year because of the war thing, but they still know where they're going and they, they keep kind of planting all those seeds. So, um, yeah, it it could have been very different if Thomas Riker had, had been able to make it further into the Raya system. Um, although how long he would have lasted, who knows, because those ships looked quite experienced and, and obviously faster than other Cardassian ships. I mean, um, and... and it seems like they might be more heavily armed than the normal Cardassian ships as well. So it, it, who knows? But yeah, that's a great question, Chris. Could you have maybe averted or pushed the war back? Because, you know, there's a lot of things that wouldn't have happened if Thomas Riker had maybe been more successful in his mission. Yeah, I just thought of it just as we were talking right now. I've never really thought about that before. Although my my one question about that is then we're led to believe that the Defiance sensor logs are important, but they don't lead to anything. Uh, Dukat doesn't gain anything from them. We don't learn anything about it. Nothing changes. So does that mean that Dukat kind of got shortchanged by that deal that he made with Cisco to, to free all of the Maquis and get the Defiant back? Because obviously Cisco gets the Defiant. He gets the, the prisoners. Uh, but apparently, what does 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 Dukat not get enough to to change things on Cardassia? I don't know. I don't remember the exact specifics. But obviously, that fleet is never disturbed. They keep, they get to keep it secret. They get to use it for their intended purpose. Mm-hmm. So there was no point in his exchange on 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 his side of it. Yeah. Well, 
If if you if you remember in the episode when you know Ducat is talking to to Cisco about how exactly the Cardassian government is set up and works, and you sort of have the Obsidian Order and you have the military, and then you have the civilian you know government, which is kind of a joke because it doesn't really govern much of anything. And they all sort of have these competing interests and these competing power structures, and it's all sort of like you know it's kind of like the Soviet or you know the Soviet style or something where you have all of these different sort of bureaucracies that don't talk to each other and all have their competing interests and have you know they may not sounds want a lot the same like. Microsoft also, Eric. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, so yeah, I just think that that Ducat may have been able to convince the military that the Obsidian Order was doing something, but what is that really worth? It's not going to stop the Obsidian Order. But I, I, yeah, I think that's a way to to retcon that. But I feel like if the, from what I understand of Cardassians, if the military recognized that the obsidian order was doing something that they're not allowed to do it's stated very clearly they're not allowed to have ships let alone a whole fleet of more advanced ships than the military the cardassians as we know are people of action they would have gone in at least and had some sort of back i just feel like there's no that the, that the entirety of the episode from that perspective is moot it doesn't do anything it doesn't actually change anything there's no consequences for ducat learning what he learns unless i'm missing something no i don't think you're missing anything i I, it it does kind of seem to me that uh the sensor logs were not as extensive as as uh maybe they had hoped and you know you can take a scan of the system but you you as far out as they are they may not have the detailed nature that they would have wanted like how many ships are out there if it's just those you know like three two we saw or if there were, you know, so a ton more of them. So it doesn't. It it does seem like that to me. Uh, Ducat really does get the short end of the stick here. Um, and I I think again, it kind of went back to my point. Ducat's a just not a really great leader, and he shows it. I think in this episode, which you know uh, he's an interesting and charismatic character, but as for actual leadership, he he's just not great. Yeah, that was one question I had in watching it trying to figure out whether the writers hadn't quite decided what they were doing with Ducat yet or if the writing was maybe a little bit subpar because Ducat's acting too much like an idiot when you see Cisco explaining the military strategy that Thomas Riker is using. And it seems like Gold Ducat wouldn't be so caught off guard by the tactics of Riker. But then I thought ahead to the Dominion War and while Ducat is still involved in the military operations and how he, in those situations also, really failed to comprehend what Starfleet's tactics were and made bad decisions in his uh, ship and troop deployments there as well. Well, and I think the other thing, too, you have to remember is that in this episode, Ducat was really, really preoccupied with the fact that he couldn't take his son to the Lacarian City Amusement Center. Yeah, he couldn't and go he, to Six Flags, basically. Yeah, so I think he really missed out on his, you know, corn dog, and he was very <laughs> upset. Uh, Although he did get to play Risk on the big screen. So I feel like, you know, maybe, maybe yeah, he was entertained. You're, you're playing Axis and Allies on the screen there, you know, and you're worried about your kid. And, and this is, again, that was, that whole thing with like his son, it just kind of like, I'm thinking any normal commander of, of, of any major, you know, fleet or ship or anything like that would be able to put his side, his family... You know, but but Ducat is just so 
maniacal in his thinking. Like he can't put aside these little things and think on the big things. You know, it's just it it is a really Mm -hmm. interesting character moment because in some ways it kind of makes him likable. But when you really look at it, it honestly just makes him a little bit still crazy that he's actually thinking about his son at this point when his, you know, his homeworld territory is being invaded by a ship that could destroy a lot of Cardassian lives. But he's really worried about his son not going to Six Flags. But to be fair, (laughs) to be fair, in that scene, Cisco turns into a soccer mom. As soon as as Ducat mentions he has a son, and then Cisco's like, "Check out my wallet. These are all the pictures of my kid. I'm so excited that I have a son as well, and we could talk about children." Like, see, that's and my son's dating a Dabo girl. How about yours? (laughs) (laughs) See, that's what I was thinking because you know the one thing we know about Ducat is Ducat is very sort of conniving, and I thought you know the first time I ever watched this episode, I remember thinking, "Oh, Ducat's trying to get in Cisco's head. He's trying to mess him up by talking about his son because he knows Cisco has a son that he really loves." But once you know what happens with Ducat later on down the line it's pretty clear that Ducat is just unhinged and and he has no conception of like what he's actually thinking or anything he's just he's just emotionally stunted and he just doesn't know how to to filter himself whatsoever well and it's interesting too I I, Daniel I think it is funny because Cisco can flip that switch to be the quote-unquote soccer mom you know or dad who's just really proud of their kid but it it doesn't affect his thinking about what's happening there. You know, like he can I mean, he can talk about his family anytime, you know, that that he's very proud of his son, um, you know, and that's one of the things I love about the show is, is seeing this great father son relationship. But, you know, it's not affecting his thinking whatsoever. He just kind of flips the switch and goes to family mode right there for a second while they have a little bit of a lull but he hasn't been thinking about jake all day you know like oh jake has that big date with the davo girl i hope it goes okay <laughs> no, i hope they don't I mean, go too far yeah you're right but on the other hand i don't think <laughs> well, it could be a baseball just... analogy of course like i hope they don't go past first base. <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think it's i don't think it's i actually think that is Ducat actively playing him because he's he switches Cisco to talking to family mode as you said and then immediately is immediately is like but my son doesn't it ha- doesn't have any happiness because there's a federation starship with your name on it that's about to kill a bunch of Cardassians and like he just like totally emotionally manipulates him and turns it against him on that dime i think he was very aware of what he was doing yeah and that scene too i i remember thinking watching it that Ducat loves to 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 dig in the knife to anybody who can when he can and that I think you're right it really is a scene where he's just doing that as if like how dare you guys ruin my son's like he's gonna hate you guys forever as if your son's hate doesn't come from you and what you say about this you know like to your son as if you have no part because really how his son is going to feel about this is going to come from what dad tells him, not from, you know, anything else, because it's not like this is going to be all over the news in Cardassia, because it's not the kind of thing you'd probably want to put on the news as the military that, uh, you know, you, you lost a bunch of military bases because, uh, well, the got caught, caught with his pants down, you know, just like, uh, it just, it, you wouldn't want to do that. So, it really again, especially not in Cardassia, because they have those gigantic screens on the sides of the buildings. If you remember, yeah, I don't want to yeah. see that. 
on the uh, side of the building. So it, it just seems like to me it, it really uh, does come down to how Ducat's going to frame this to his kid. And apparently that's how he's going to frame it to his kid. And that's what, like, you know, it seems to bother me the most. It's like you you don't want your kid to see the Federation as being this evil thing as you're implying that he is going to see it as. But the only reason he's going to find out about this episode is because you told him what kept you instead of just being like, I'm really sorry. At a big event came up today at work. It was a national security issue. I can't talk about it with you, but that happened. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, it just really bothered me that Ducat's trying to pin it on Cisco and the Federation, but really it's his responsibility. And, and well, that's what Ducat loves to do best is pin his failures or mistakes on anybody else but himself. And I guess the real question is, does Ducat even have a son? <laughs> he does have a lot of kids. We do know that uh, from the series. So not just illegitimate kids like Zial, but he has actual children in in the series. So I can't remember. Mm. Do you remember, Chris, how many kids Ducat has in the end? Not off the top of my head. Yeah, so. yeah not a number. Mm. I mean, if he is playing Cisco, you know, whether or not he has kids or not, he may be making up this particular kid. He, you know, the, his his son might be 25 years old. He might have another son that's two. You don't know. And so mm-hmm. that's the thing about Ducat, I think, really, is the, is kind of the takeaway, is that you never really know what the guy's thinking or what he's doing. He's always got an angle. So, yeah, yeah you can't really take any—I th- I don't think you can take any strong conclusions away from it. Well, let's move on to one last thing that I wanted to just touch on before uh, we wrap up here. And it's just Kira's role in the episode. I find it funny at the beginning. I think I even tweeted that the next time I have an issue with customer service somewhere, I am going to call in Kira, <laughs> let her shout them down. Especially how she she jumps on Bashir about sparing the ship to go to uh, Vulcan. But I I was just curious what you guys thought, whether or not her reaction to Tom Riker is out of character for her. She's having a really bad day. She's really tired. I think she wants an escape from everything. But the scene when she sees him in Quarks, the look on her face right before they cut, I think that's the end of the cold open, isn't it? And they cut over or they cut commercial anyway. It just seemed a little bit odd for Kira. And this is season three, so it's not like they haven't figured out who the character is at this point. But then I was trying to think, is it out of character for her? Because there are those other times where you know, we see her all worked up about uh, Vedic Burial or someone. We see her with Jadzia, with guys around. What did you think, Matthew, about, you maybe remember better than I do, how she reacts to men over the course of the series? Or is it just the Riker mystique that just sucked her in? Um, You know, I, I'm sucked in by the Riker mystique, so I really can't, <laughs> uh, you know, fault Kira here. I mean, I think all of us would be. Uh, but uh, even though he is looking a rather uh, a little chunky in this episode, I'm not going to lie. He, he's not <laughs> at his fittest anymore. Um, but I, I was thinking about this question, Chris, when I saw the outline uh, earlier today. And uh, I was just called back to when, you know, Burial comes over from the Mirror Universe and how... Kira's just kind of sucked in by that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was able to to say Kira does have a soft spot for certain types of men. And I, I think Riker would definitely fit in with the kind of man that Kira 
um, as, as a woman, um, has maybe, um, a little bit harder time just, you know, uh, avoiding or, you know, yeah. not having it, he, he would probably have an effect on her. And, and that is not a slight on Kira as a woman or as a character or any of that, because I think we all kind of have those types of people that we just generally gravitate towards, uh, you know, uh, no matter what your sexual orientation is, it, it happens for you. Just ha- whoever that is, you and you know who it is. You know the type it is, and it just kind it's of like Captain Bodet. Exactly, it's not <laughs> Captain Bodet for me. For me, it would be like somebody like Esri. I'm sorry, it just she sucks me right in. Um, so like a tractor beam. Uh, and I think that really just happens to Kira in this episode. And I don't think that there's yeah. anything. Uh, wrong with that what i kind of liked about it was that deep space nine was was becoming more okay with allowing characters to be i guess kind of sexual beings like the the, like kira and and compared to other yeah compared to other star trek but without it going overboard or being uh you know just having characters be lascivious or you know just not being characters you could look up to but you know it, it was okay for them to have people that they they thought of as good looking and might want to go on a date with and get past mm-hmm. second base with, you know, like this was just um, a, a little bit of an opening. And I kind of like that about, you know, deep space nine and, and the way that they're portraying their characters is a little bit more freedom there. Uh, mm-hmm. So to me, it worked to have Kira be attracted to Riker. And obviously you can tell Dax has an attraction to Riker. She thinks he's, you know, cute and 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 definitely up her alley. You know, I mean, he's fun. Like Daniel said well, earlier, he's he's no got surprise. his vices, and so does Dax. So yeah, <laughs> you know, no, I think, yeah, it's no surprise with John Zia. Yeah, I I have to jump in and just say that 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 night that we hear about but never see, I would not be surprised if if they had gotten together, if if actual Will Riker and and Jadzia, and and as we learn later on. Riker and Worf have the same taste in women. This is true. (laughs) Well, good point. Well, I just assume that Jadzia and Will hooked up. Oh, yeah. Because the way she keeps asking Kira is like, you talked and then, and then. And like, did it your night go the same way mine did? (laughs) I know how this game is played. I know exactly what happened next is what she's thinking. Yeah. I think it's yeah, yeah. I, I think it's always a good thing to assume that Will Riker slept with anybody you think he did, and that Dax slept with anybody you think she did. Th- and mm-hmm. this is why they're kind of perp for each other. Because yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tell I you what, that is Dax, if, that's Dax's personality. There. Yeah, John Zia, Dax's personality. If, if Riker had gone on vacation to Risa with Jadzia instead of Worf. There would have been no pouting and 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 no environmental systems destroying. There would have just been a lot of Jamaharon going on. They so. might have accidentally destroyed some environmental systems because of all that Jamaharon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it might have been next. I was going to say at the beginning when you mentioned that Riker says he has three months of shore leave saved up. The reason he doesn't have more, like Jean Luc, who has like 11 years of shore leave saved up, is because Riker actually uses his whenever he can to go to Risa. Yeah. That's, I, I mean, I, he has he has some saved because they're not always near Risa. Otherwise, he would that, be delinquent. That's the in only time. reason he would have. To yeah. yeah. Right. Um, Riker, uh, I'm sorry, you can't go on shore leave. You actually owe us three months of work before <laughs> you go on shore leave again. <laughs> I I kind of like uh, what you know. 
the the beginning of this was Kira objects and uh, Chris. I I actually really like the way that um, Bashir handles this. You know, when he gets yelled at by Kira and he gives her the whole speech of look, I can do this. Not even S- Captain Cisco can override me. I always love it when a chief medical officer on the show kind of gets to pull that card because I think it's important yeah. for the for the crew. And you can kind of see that you know, unlike. The Enterprise, which is a well-oiled machine, you know, uh, when it comes to how things work and, and the functionality and ha- things getting taken care of, you know, Deep Space Nine is a there's a lot more going on for these characters to be, um, you know, uh, doing. And, and her as first officer, she has a ton of responsibilities and she is one of those people who's kind of a workaholic anyway. Uh, I think it comes from her background with it her kind of terrorist background. She's always in the trenches and she never has learned how to relax. Uh, right. So I loved that, you know, he he makes her slow down and she kind of hates it in the beginning, but obviously she meets Riker and, and it, it changes. But in, in general, I just love watching um, a, a chief medical officer be a chief medical officer and really look out for the well-being of the crew. And I thought that really played off well uh, because Kira is not necessarily somebody who's going to slow down unless you make them slow down. I also imagine that Kira gets away with yelling at everybody but Cisco. Yeah, and yeah. so it's yeah, it's yeah. N- I think it's nice for her character for someone to be like, "Whoa, hang on a second. because uh, she's like, "Damn the colonists! I don't care if they get their medical supplies or whatever." Like, and she's screaming, and he's just like, "You need to relax. Like, here's a jump just stick. What whatever that is exactly, I don't know. Some sort of meat <laughs> stick, but." Uh, you know, I'm, and uh, I, I don't know. Do you guys know what that is? Is it ever clear what that is? Is it a sweet thing? Is it? It's a it's sweet a kind thing. Of, yeah, it's a fruit thing, isn't it? Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's a it, sweet. Yeah, it almost I'm, reminds me of like a stick form of of uh, Turkish delight because Turkish delight is actually like that kind of gelatinous, uh, uh-huh. fruity sweet thing. But that's kind of what it reminds me of. But on a like a popsicle stick. Yeah, uh, it reminds it, me of something we have in Japan, which is is it's a type of it's a vegetable, but it's very much like um, a firm gelatin type. That food sounds delicious. Uh, yeah. on a stick. <laughs> I'll take <Yeah>. three. <laughs> uh, exactly. Well, that's what I think of when I see these on DS Nine. There, so yeah. All right. Well, well, let's wrap up here with final thoughts and just kind of. I have one more question to mix in with final thoughts here because we already covered it pretty extensively through the discussion earlier on. And that is whether it was a missed opportunity not to bring Thomas Riker back to the show. So after we've talked about everything that he did on the show, tell me what you think. Would you have wanted to see him again and maybe how many times? And then your final thoughts on the episode and, of course, your rating. Eric, how about you? I, I would have liked to see Tom again. I think that the episode ends in that classic way that a lot of Deep Space Nine episodes end where the main plot is sort of wrapped up, but there's still a lot left over and it's kind of on a down note as well. So I think, you know, seeing Tom Riker again, seeing what happened to him, how he was interacting with everybody else, how they got him off that Cardassian prison camp, I think would have been really interesting and would have been something that, you know, made the show even more different, I think from, from the next generation. Um, you know, at, at, you know, as opposed to the episode as a whole, which I think is really strong and I think is, you know, one of those episodes of, of Deep Space Nine that 
is a little bit overlooked just because it comes at a weird point in the show's run where it wasn't quite the the wharf parade and it wasn't quite the dominion war and it wasn't when the show was just starting but it was in that sort of like mid-period where people weren't really sure what the show was doing but it was getting good so you know there's a lot of really stuff there's a lot of really strong uh you know stuff going on there with the political intrigue in the alpha quadrant and you know not not also to forget that this is when the show, the first season, it was standing on its own because this was directly after The Next Generation had ended its run. So this was Deep Space Nine, you know, kind of staking its claim on the Alpha Quadrant as, as, as it were. So um, I'll give this one uh, eight Jumjistics. Excellent. How about you, Daniel? I mean, yeah, of course, I would have loved to have seen, we talked a little bit about it before. I would have loved to have seen more, more Thomas. Um, He's an interesting character. It's re- I think they could have really diverged with what we knew of Will and made Thomas's own unique character. I mean, he is, but but really pushed it and, and pushed it far, as far as they, they could have wanted. Like, if we can get multiple Burial episodes, why, you know, why can't Thomas Riker have more than one episode? And they're saying, of course, it's easy to say in hindsight, whatever, it's fine. But yeah, uh, that just are... makes me angry now. <laughs> <laughs> I want to get rid of all the Brile episodes and just have Tom Riker episodes now. <laughs> well, that was part of DS9's Dirty Vedic initiative, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> they had to have those. Um, you know, but it's a great episode. It's a fun episode all the way through. And it's, it's again, it's easy to forget how important it is and how significant the consequences of this episode are. But really big things are happening. This is the best way. If you're going to do a cameo, this is the best way to do it. It's not It's not just stunt casting. It's not just about the fact that this person's... But this person is bringing something to the episode. Exactly. A, making yeah. a, contra, uh, a contribution to the story of the, uh, of the whole show and, and in a meaningful way. And then is kind of left to be like, oh, they might come back. And I wish they brought him back, but of course they didn't. But that's okay. As much as we got of Thomas Riker was fantastic, and and I guess at least you could say that, right? Uh, so it's a great episode of Deep Space Nine, uh, and I'm going to give it seven removable sideburns. Nice. Very good. How about you, Matthew? Well, uh, I love it when Daniel and I agree, because I'm I'm totally with you, Daniel. I, I think that um, Riker should have come back. Thomas Riker should have come back. And, and this is kind of what I was thinking all throughout the episode, okay, how how would Thomas Reckon come back? And obviously he's been put in this prison. And what I would love to have seen him become, especially during the Dominion War, as a covert operative inside the you know uh, Dominion space, um, uh, pretending to work with their Cardassians, actually, or something like that. Just what I think that, that just like you said, make him as far removed from from William Riker as you can. Um, but give him something really cool and meaty to do. And there's something like that I think would have been fantastic. I, I also think that this shows me just how much um, TNG could have been just even better if they had allowed their characters to to push just a little bit. Because, man, Frakes is, is on his game in this episode. He's having a great time. Um, and uh, the, the range he has here... I would have loved to have been able to see on display in, in TNG um, even more so than it than it usually is. Um, and the few times we get to see it on TNG, I just think it's fantastic. Um, but Frakes has a great range. He's a good actor. And um, I, I really love this episode. You know, even though when you do, like we said, the rewatch of it, you know what's coming. I still enjoy it. And I think it's uh, just fascinating 
how much story they're able to cram into 45 minutes worth of television here mm-hmm. that really is going to carry on. Like they've just planted all these little seeds and, you know, uh, uh, that's the great thing I think about watching then, you know, D space nine, uh, you know, just doing a whole big rewatch is you get to see how all that stuff connects. Cause who would have thought like the episode with the defiant and Tom Riker actually connects with, you know, like, whole other seasons of of the the series it's it's great so for me uh i i'm i would rate this um 16 dabo girl dates <laughs> wow sounds good to me That's a good rating right there. Wow. well i agree with everything you guys have said and as far as bringing thomas back on what i find and you mentioned this earlier on a little bit Daniel, it's a case where not only did they just not get around to it, but the pitch letter that they sent out to freelance writers for season four actually specified Thomas Riker is a subject that we are not interested in hearing about. So they made a determination that they weren't going to bring him back. And I don't know why, because Frakes wanted to do it from what I understand. And I guess my take on it Everything you guys have said as possible takes sounds good to me. And as another one, the fact, someone mentioned this earlier, actually, that he could have been part of working with Eddington and be part of that storyline because this is a bridge to keeping the Maquis storyline alive a bit. And then we get more of that later on. So, so many opportunities to bring him back that would have been really interesting. And I'm disappointed that they didn't do it because I think it would have been really nice. So I'm going to give this episode eight Thomas Riker goodbye kisses because he really lays one on Kira right there at the end of the episode. You can take the William out of the Riker, but you know, and all that. You can't take the Riker out of the William Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Just ask Pulaski, you know, Kyle, he laid one on her just like that too. Don't ask Can we Pulaski. not talk about <laughs> don't, Pulaski? Don't bother. Uh, <laughs> hey, hey, don't badmouth Pulaski. <sighs> I don't want anything mouth Pulaski. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, Eric and Daniel, thanks for dropping by today. Eric, before we go, tell everyone where they can find you and what you do on your show. Yeah, so uh, I have a podcast called Trek About, which you can find at trekaboutshow.com. And it is uh, my attempt to make my co-host a Trekkie, our seven-year journey uh, through the through the various series. And uh, if you'd like to uh, check out some of my uh, Twitter ramblings as well, um, you can do so at E-R-I-C-B-R-A-S-U-R-E, Eric Brazier. Thank you. Awesome. And Daniel, where can people find you? People can find me right here on the network on our TNG show with uh, Darren and Philip where we often lament not being invited to the Deep Space Nine wedding, but, you know, we're not bitter. We just happen to mention it a lot um, and talk all things TNG, all things Riker. So come on over and uh, and have a listen. Uh, and if you want to follow me personally, I'll, I'm on Twitter at uh, OneUpDan, and that's the number one, not the word. And we should say that that TNG show is called... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Earl Grey, yes. Have, <laughs> come have a, a delicious cup of Earl Grey. Yeah, so people can search there and to get their fresh cup of Earl Grey. That's right. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
Chris, it's it's just so much fun to get to talk about some Deep Space Nine. I mean, obviously we can't get enough. We're we're both on the orb every week, and and here we are. We're back on the ready room. I mean, you're here every week, but uh, you know, I I'm here because it's Deep Space Nine week, and I hadn't been on too long, and got to talk about just a fantastic episode with Defiant. Yeah, well, actually, you're wrong, Matthew. I'm not here every week. That's actually my transporter created double Brian Jones what? who's here every week. <laughs> it's not really me. I mean, how else people wonder how I keep the network going and have all these shows and things all the time. It's because there are two of me. So that's what happened. Yeah. Man, I hope this doesn't turn into a Michael Keaton multiplicity thing for you because that did not work out well for him. It did not. I'll just tell you, if it gets to that, I promise I will not let the seventh clone edit any shows. Okay, good news. Yeah, just Yeah, he'll just be over in the swing eating pizza. Okay, that's probably <laughs> best. Yeah, it was fun to talk about uh, DS9 today, and especially this episode, because we got to do a little TNG DS9 crossover stuff here. But it's not the only thing we've been talking about on the network this week, so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And, like, we were so busy, we didn't eat, like, all day. (laughs) I had a Red Bull around 5 o'clock, right before the parsecs. Uh, I could feel my teeth. Like tingling? Yeah, yeah. It was weird. Earl Grey. He was robbing the bokle, as a, as they say it in, a, in Klingon. <laughs> I, that's a Klingon word I just made up, just, just so you know. I think we can tell. The orb. What I also liked, too, was that Nog said, put that in there, too, to Jake, and let people decide. And that just summed up DS9 for me, because DS9 is, you know, we're not going to tell you for sure he's a bad captain, even though, obviously... I think most people would agree that he was. To the journey! Oh yeah, Balana's reading romantic fanfic. Not everything is fanfic, okay? This yes, could it be is. a legitimate author with a legitimate publisher. <laughs> no, this is Klingon Harlequin. You know it is. Warp 5. The Orions, there's something really complex going on within their society, and there's a long-term struggle where the women have flipped the table on the men. And how does that all play out? And it's something where I wish Enterprise had gone for seven seasons and they could have continued to revisit this and we find out more and more. The Ready Room. You know, people have seen that image. That, that image in particular, just that still of her with the Desilu yeah. logo over it, is really iconic. Mm-hmm. And in fact, what I discovered is it's not a still. It's probably 26 different stills. Commentary, Trek stars. A number of scenes... Uh, from especially the end of Into Darkness are sort of lifted and adapted from Wrath of Khan to be used in this story. Lifted and Google translated into this version. Literary Treks. We all know Troy gets all the, the men that come on, the, the, the all the envoys, actually. You, you notice that she really likes these bad boy envoy men, you know? <laughs> she does. Continuing mission. How is Spock changing? How is he changed from the moment he met Captain Kirk from the the, the non-mirror universe? What is his ultimate goal? Axanar, the official podcast. So basically you've got this souped up computer with this lens on the front of it. And um, because the resolution has increased so much with these cameras, the amount of data coming out of that camera is enormous. And join us in welcoming aboard Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. 
I'm really, really glad that you mentioned Parliament Funkadelic. I could not watch this at all without thinking about George Clinton. Yeah, so, uh, and just every yeah. time he talks about going to Parliament, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would, I, who wouldn't want to go? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. Just search for Trek.fm or the name of the show that you want to listen to and you'll get all the shows there. And don't forget to get the master feed because you'll get all of our shows and even Mission Log in there now too. It's a great way to just fill your days. And I do mean that every single day with a couple of shows with Star Trek discussion. And Matthew, speaking of places you get your podcasts, we would love for you guys to leave us a review of The Ready Room or our other shows, including the Master Feed, if you're there in iTunes or on Stitcher. We love to hear from you, of course, and it also helps other Star Trek fans find the shows because it's not the easiest thing to find in iTunes. There are so many podcasts. I mean, we have our whole full-blown artist section that Apple gave us, which we love, but even with that, There are so many podcasts. We need all the help that we can get from you guys to rise up to the top there in the search results. So please take a moment and leave us a review. We really do appreciate that. And we'd love to read your feedback here on the show too. And just like those reviews help us out, another way that you can help us out is to visit Patreon. As I talked about in the news segment today a little bit, we have a new home on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm. You can find our goals there. You can find the perks that we give you in exchange for your contributions. It's a great way for you to support us on a monthly basis. That's something that many listeners have asked us about over the years. Is there a way to do that? Well, now there is at patreon.com slash trekfm. So please head over and check that out. And we appreciate any support that you can give us. It really does help us keep everything going. And one other way that you can help us is to support our sponsor, Audible. If you go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm, you can get a free audiobook of your choice. Pick up War of the Worlds, which we talked about in news today. It's a great little rendition of that story. And you can get it absolutely free. Plus, if you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that after the trial. So nothing to lose. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. If you'd like to leave us some feedback on today's show, there are many ways for you to do that. You can go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Just choose to send to a show and choose the ready room, and that'll come to us by email. There's also Twitter, where our username is trek.fm, facebook.com slash trek.fm, Google Plus, we have a community there. And also you can send us a voicemail. Just look in the left sidebar. You'll see a widget on all the show pages on our website. Or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm and you can record the message there and upload it to us right there from the page as an MP3 file. Now, Matthew, when you're not going back through old footage from the next generation to figure out if Thomas Riker steps over chairs the same way that William Riker does, where can people find you? Well, Chris, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. Um, you can also find me, of course, as we've already mentioned a little bit, doing The Orb and Literary Treks with you. The Orb, we talk about, uh, of course, Deep Space Nine. Literary Treks, we talk about the literary universe. In fact, we even brought that up a little bit in today's show. And we interview authors, Matthew. That's right. Uh, so, uh, you know, if if you just want to know more about the Star Trek literary universe, which Honestly, it's just fantastic. And you want to hear what the authors have to say about their own works. Please join us there. Uh, And then lastly, Chris, if you'd like to check me out on my own personal website at 
lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Do lots of different things there. So um, take a look at that. Now, Chris, when you're not sitting around figuring out how you lost Kira to people like Barile, to Thomas Riker and Shakar, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter also. I'm there all the time. My username is C. Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash C. Brian Jones. And on the network, I do all kinds of shows. Of course, there's the Orb and Literary Treks, Matthew, which I do with you. There's also Warp 5, Matter Stream, Continuing Mission, Hyper Channel. And I also co-host the official podcast of Star Trek Axanar with Axanar creator Alec Peters. And we take you, as we talked about earlier today, behind the scenes, and we actually chronicle the production of that film as we're going along. So it's a really unique way to see how Star Trek is put together. So check me out in those places if you want to find out what else I'm talking about in the world of Star Trek. Well, Matthew, I have got to go. I'm going to run down and catch O'Brien and see if he can tell me just why Riker is so upset at him. Well, Chris, I think that sounds like a great idea because honestly... I can't figure out what his problem is either. I have no idea. And I think it's time to stick a Cardassian fun park in it, because the ready room is done. 